This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. All loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. That's Goalie.com, use promo code D-L-E-W. This podcast is a Believe Network and Luciete production. of the DLU podcast brought to you by Believe Network. I'm your host, Derek T. Lewis, and I want to thank each and every one of you for subscribing and tuning in each and every week. And again, I cannot do this show. This show will not exist without you. So I appreciate it more than you'll ever know. But this past weekend, you know, I got to go back to North Jersey, back to my old stopping grounds to see some family. And got to see my mom, which is always a good thing. And I got to see so many other family members at my great niece's birthday party. She turned 21 on Saturday, so it was a huge milestone for her. She's doing awesome stuff in college. And family that I hadn't seen in years. I mean, literally years. So, so good to see them reconnect and have a great time listening to some, to some awesome music and some great food, too. But anyways, this week I have actor extraordinaire J.D. Williams. And you may have seen him on The Wire, Oz. Saints and Sinners, and he's been on some commercials, and he's been on some, been in some films as well. And again, we break down all aspects of his his film career, his TV career, all he's doing today, and we talk about some of the approaches that you know we take as actors, and we take it to the next level. And let's not wait any longer. My interview with J.D. Williams starts right now. Ladies and gentlemen, I've known this individual for 36 years. That's right. I've known him for 36 years. Uh, we met many years ago in fourth grade. And to see where he is today, it's an honor and a privilege to have him on the DLU podcast. You've seen him on shows like New York Undercover, The Sopranos, Oz, and even The Wire. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only J.D. Williams. Thank you for coming on to the DLU podcast. How are you, man? All right, all right, man. That's what's up, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Like you said, yeah, we go uh, way, way back, man. So uh, I'm glad to see you doing your thing with your platform, too. And thank you for having me, brother. No doubt, man. No doubt. So let's get into it. So, again, we grew up in Newark. So let's talk about life growing up back in the bricks. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, um, specifically where we were, we were right on the actual borderline of East Orange. East Orange. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, you know, we would have our school right there, you know, which is a nice little black p- private school and whatnot. But, yeah, we was right on the edge, literally, 
of the hood, you know, Bradley Cook was right there and mm-hmm. we had a lot. Um, but um, I would say, you know, I personally, I feel like I had a great mixture, you know, of, you know, having a, a little bit of this the street right next to me, but also having a nice, you know, family structure. Um, I was just bugging because I was looking at that picture of us from fourth grade and I was like, wow, man, it's, it's amazing that I can still name most of the people in people. that picture. Right, exactly. Yeah. And I know a lot of kids don't get to grow up even with, you know, that type of knowing, you know, the people that they get to grow up around. You know, a lot of people don't get to form those types of, of bonds, you know, or just to even get to know people that way. So I just think that was a very uh, precious thing that we got a chance to experience in that in that sense. You know what I'm saying? So but yeah, man, if we grew up there, you know, I would say it was good. You know, nice little 80s. 80s thing going on, you know, he had to watch from getting jumped around the neighborhood. You know, we had the school little little school fights and, you know, little catch a girl, get a girl, you know, the regular old stuff. So, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no one can get away with that stuff these days. But I know what you mean. Nah, man. So, nah, man. so with, let me ask you a question, though. So growing up, though, was acting always in your in your in your in the back of your mind of something you always wanted to do? Did you set out even back then, like, you know, growing up was I was going to be an actor. Was that some of your was one of your goals you wanted to achieve? Not not really. Um, I mean, I wasn't thinking about it in that turn. But but if you remember, like from fourth grade all the way to eighth grade, like I was usually the one doing the assemblies and the, mm-hmm. the orations and, you know, things like that most of the time. So I was kind of I kind of always thought, you know, in the back of my head, I knew it was something I could do. but I remember uh, fourth grade with Miss Doyle. She one day she had us draw what we wanted to be when we grew up. And you I remember know, I that. Drew like, yeah, I drew uh, a, a lawyer. I wanted to be a corporate lawyer, you know. So I drew a courthouse. I, I mean, a courtroom and all this other stuff because I'm thinking along those lines. Um, but the acting thing, like I said, it was definitely cultivated there, you know. And then I ended up going to arts high school. Shout out arts. So it kind of like put me in a, in a mind state of, you know, I have the skill, I have to use it. And then I was blessed with the opportunity to use it. And I just kept rolling it from there. But I never really, at first, I definitely didn't set out thinking, you know, not back then, I wasn't thinking necessarily about being an actor. But I also think I have to say it wasn't totally shut off from my brain. Like I never thought it was impossible. So I right. think that's kind of what made it possible, you know. So you mentioned you you went to arts. Actually, I have a lot of family members that went to arts and in Newark, New Jersey. So notable alumni: the late great Sarah Vaughn, Tisha Campbell, Savion Glover. Mm-hmm. We actually Savion graduated with my sister. Actually, class of ninety one. Shout out to class ninety one for arts. MJ Rodriguez, and of course yeah. Mike, Michael B. Jordan. So when you auditioned, yeah. were you were you auditioning for to be a drama major? Uh yeah yeah yep that was the my that's definitely what I went in for and like I said it was kind of um I, I I it was second nature for me like I said I was all through all through grade school you know I was always you know up on the stage you know reading something I was always doing some type of public speaking um mm-hmm. even in church you know so uh, I didn't really have any um compunction about you know public speaking and my memory. So it kind of just fit like a glove, you know, and I actually had applied to science high first, but I lived outside of that school district. So I couldn't go to science high. So it was kind of a blessing that I, you know, got rejected from science. High right. and ended up going to art. So, 
Wow, wow, wow. So during your four years at Arts, I mean, and there, there were some incredible teachers there. I knew a lot of them because, you know, my sister went there. So were you taking acting classes outside of, in addition to, you know, your, your daily class you were taking at Arts? No, no, not at all. Um, like I said, uh, the only other thing I was doing that I would consider being on stage was like when I was doing altar boy stuff at church or mm-hmm. whatever that was. But um, but no. Oh, well. And another thing is uh, in, in the house, I always had like, you know, a camera or a video camera or I, me and my cousin. Uh, you remember my cousin, Davon? Davon, Yeah. Yeah. We would always, you know, put on shows like in the house for whoever. So that was pretty much my outside, you know, training, my outside experience, you know, um, just always being in that mindset. So, like I said, I guess it was kind of natural to keep it going, you know. And so, that yeah, that's pretty much where it came from. I kind of was training myself the whole time, you know, to get there. And then it was just kind of, you know, it was was second nature. Yeah, opposed to now where everyone has a you know camera on their phone to just get up and just put it on a tripod and record. We didn't have those type of things back then. You know what I mean? We didn't have any of those gadgets or any of those type of devices where we can just at will get up and just record something. That I mean, it's mind-boggling to think about where we were, you know, 25 years ago or wherever how long it was when we didn't have these type of things. So what what was leading you towards? Hey, I'm I'm think I'm going to get into television and film. When did that process happen for you? Um, well, like I said, it was pretty uh, natural the way I rolled into it. I ended up in arts high school. My drama teacher, she said, first off, you know, when you're ready, I'll introduce you to a couple of agents. And the agents that I met, you know, they took a really uh, heavy shine to me and gave me uh, auditions in volume. And coming right out of high school for four years, being kind of honed to do that, you know, and then hitting a bunch of auditions and volume, I started booking a whole lot of a lot of shows. So with me, what I was thinking when I was getting out, like I said, being that that summer, literally um, of graduation, I had that opportunity. You know, I had to choose whether to go straight to college or get a deferment and then, you know, try my hand at acting fully and. I booked my first commercial. So I said, well, while I have this momentum going on and while I'm getting this experience, I might as well go ahead because this is what I would probably be going to college for anyway. So get the experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was just kind of, like I said, it was just this, uh, this kismet and it was just this blessing and this, this rhythm that was just going on once I kind of started working, once I graduated high school. So I just kept that role going, man. That was it. I just kept that energy going. Right. Now, the first time that I saw you on TV was uh, New York Undercover. You played the mm-hmm. role of Victor. I believe it was Kodak yeah. Boy. Let's talk about that for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that was a big deal. Uh, obviously, um, uh, that was like the first television show, you know, that I had like a, 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 a actual part in speaking role and so forth and so on. Um, I was 18. I think I was going on 19. I invited, you know, a bunch of people over to my brand new apartment and everything. And what was funny about that is that uh, back then I was uh, basically, you know, I had a real heavy crush on Aaliyah. And mm-hmm. I didn't even know who was the musical guest that week on New York the Cover. And right. my friends were there like, who, who do you think is the musical guest? I said, I don't know. I didn't even ask. And everybody said, it'd be funny if it was Aaliyah because they knew I was an Aaliyah nut. And right, uh, right. yeah, it ended, up, it ended up, of course, being Aaliyah. And so 
yeah, I had to learn, you know, not to, I had to learn to read my cast, my set list and know who's coming to set and when they come in the set. So it was a, it was a big lesson for me, but, uh, but yeah, so I was on a, if you have a hard time, anybody want to go back and look it up? It's the episode with Aaliyah as a musical guest. <laughs> Yeah, I remember uh, many years when years ago when that show was on and ever at the end of every episode, it'll always be a musical guest. And I mean, and it was it was the perfect way to get artists out there, you know, to maybe this, to the masses of they may not heard of them, but still, you know, advertising them as far. OK, this was you know, you had Escape will be on Aaliyah, and, you know, the list goes on and on. So there were so many musical acts yeah. at that same bar they would go to after yeah. they did what they did, you know, made an arrest or whatever. And then they'll be at the bar drinking, you know, throwing a few back, having a good time and seeing a, rec a popular recording artist performing. Now. Yeah. And this is back when we weren't, we, we still weren't really used to seeing hip hop on television at all. You know, right. this is still back when it was like, we were like, we were like we'll never hear flavor in your ear on television. And then next right. thing you know, it's like the first playing on so it was like, yeah, like you said, it just definitely uh, gave a lot of platform and a lot of exposure just to, you know, hip hop, period. So definitely. Now, you were saying about the, you know, you had got a lot of auditions, you know, by the time you graduated high school. So talk about the audition process in regards because I know I, and, and I've gone through it, too. The amount of times again, you, you booked a lot of stuff, but there was also those that that told you, no. How did you take that rejection in that process of you getting all these auditions? Yeah, I mean, well, it's the same thing that I, I tell myself now, which I told myself when I first started acting, you know, cause I knew that a lot of people, they get, you know, they get crushed. You know, there's a lot of like, there is a lot of rejection. So what I just mm -hmm. told myself was like, look, if you don't get something, it's not for you. And it's not because you suck, <laughs> you know, as long as you know, you don't suck. You can deal. You can deal with somebody saying no because they didn't want you because your skill wasn't up to par. They didn't want you because you didn't fit the role. So I never uh, take it personal. And like I said, as long as I go in and I know that I put forth, you know, my best effort and I show my skill, I I never really put it on, you know, whether it's the casting director or whoever that they don't want me because I wasn't good enough. It's just that I just didn't fit the role. So I think that's something that definitely a lot of you know performance period really need to come to grips with you know and the sooner that they do that the, the the better it is to help you move on to the next thing because you're gonna not get way more things than you get yeah and I mean, it was crazy because like a year into me being you know you know taking on my acting career i took a class with tracy moore and one of the things that she explained was the exact thing you just said Maybe this role isn't for you for now, or maybe that casting director might hold on to your information. They may say, hey, listen, not now for this, but down the road, we can use him or her for this. So once she explained yeah. that to me one time, I was like, OK, I'm going to enjoy this journey now. You know what I mean? Because there, it could be you can nail the audition. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can nail the audition to the T. But. Again, the cast and director, the producers, they may have someone else in mind, but hey, it's always, I think the win is just getting the audition, getting in the room. You know what I mean? It is, it is most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely it is most of the time getting in, getting seen, and making an impression. The impression can definitely go a long way. I mean, like, 
that's another thing. Like, no matter what I went in on, like I said, I always put my best foot forward. And a lot of times I do get, I, I do to this day still get callbacks from casting agents who 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 know what I can do, who want to just see me, who want to get an idea. Sometimes, I mean, I'll even think sometimes they'll call me just to see what I do so that they can kind of direct other actors and say, hey, do something more like this, you know? So right. a lot of times it comes with that. It comes with that also. And like I said, it's really about a security within yourself. You've got to know, you've got to be secure in, in your talent and in your skill. Otherwise, you know, all of that judgment, it will get start getting heavy on you, you know? Right, leaving that outside noise. Because, you know, there's people say, oh, why aren't you booking? Or why aren't you booking? Or if you've seen some of your contemporaries booking a lot of stuff, and I just have to, I just have to just trust the process and knowing that, hey, man, like my turn's coming and something good is going to come from this and just keep learning and keep getting better at what you do and honing your craft. Now, you did this, you were on an episode of The Sopranos where I believe you hijacked the truck. So let's talk about that episode, yeah, man, sure. and, and, and that experience and working on that legendary television show yeah uh speaking of cast directors if i'm not mistaken uh i think a cast director actually just gave me that job because i was already doing Oz. you know sopranos was our brother show and sex in the city was our sister show mm -hmm. so uh yeah so i think that was one of those jobs it was such a small part and i think that the director she trusted me with the role because she knew it was something i can do and it was really good what made it doubly great was that it was a job that i was offered that i didn't have to audition for and it was literally like up the street from where my house was at the time in newark so it was like right across like right across the bridge in carney it was like right there so it was in it was in Harrison, and I have a funny story about yeah. that. I got a funny story about that. Yeah. So I would say that may have been maybe late spring, early summer of '98, and my drum my drum and bugle corps was rehearsed. We used to rehearse in Harrison at this old building called Trikim, which is right by the path where they have the you know the train tracks and the trucks and everything. Yeah. And we would we we you know we had used that place for years, and they said, "Um, you guys can't rehearse. You guys can't rehearse here." And we're like, what are you talking? We had no idea. And we saw a sign that said the Sopranos. And we was like, okay, I guess we can't rehearse here. I think three months later, I saw you on the bus. I was coming from Bloomfield. And you told me, you was like, yeah, man, I just got done filming the Sopranos. And I'm like, really? Where? He said, over in Harrison. And I was like, oh, my God. And you were telling me about, yeah, man, you, you kind of gave me the, the heads up of what you were going to be doing, which, I mean, it was an honor for me, but you could tell me, you know, kind of give me a heads up of what, what you were going to be doing in that particular episode. But I just always remember whenever I see, you know, something about The Sopranos and I think about you in that one episode, but also tying into my drum corps couldn't rehearse that day because you guys were actually filming that ep that episode, that scene where you were hijacking the truck. I just thought that was hilarious to be able to tie that yeah, to man. my friend. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, definitely. Small, small world, you know, and especially when it comes to everybody. But yeah, that was a, that was a fun episode to do. Uh, great thing. I think that was uh, actually, if I'm not mistaken, that was uh, Sean Nelson. That was with me too. So mm -hmm. that was a big deal. Um, But yeah, man, definitely got around, man. Got around. Yeah, so you 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 spoke of Oz, you know, Kenley Wang, you were the role of Kenny Wanglers. Let's talk about that. So obviously, you know, it took place, you know, in prison and everything. Did you think that it exposed the real life environment of prison? Do you think that was kind of the, the beginning of telling those type of real stories? 
no, no, no. Oz was Oz was definitely just a soap opera. Now they did thematically, which was expertly done and by uh, Tom Fontana and some of the other writers. They they could weave themes into you know the stories of what we were doing, whether it was you know brutality or just you know how people use each other and those kind right. of general themes they were weaving to the story. But it didn't. It wasn't ever making like this big statement on, you know, the prison system and things like that. It was more so just definitely, it was more so definitely a soap opera, you know, and for entertainment, like I said, however, they would weave in, you know, the, the Greek tragic things and, you know, certain things like that, that would make it feel more, uh, have more gravity, but mm -hmm. it was definitely not, not there. It was there for entertainment. Uh, Oz wasn't there at all to, uh, I don't think to make any type of necessarily political statements in advance, but like I said, the, the, the intelligence and the genius of the writers definitely lends itself to having <clears throat> some of those statements in there, you know, whether it, it's the themes of, you know, violence, humans, violence against each other, you know, how you use people, you know, how people can use other people, you know, the deception and the deceit. Like I said, it was more akin to, you know, Shakespeare, then mm -hmm. I would say to a documentary, you know, uh, right. I love the, the experience of being on there. I loved it. You know, I feel uh, blessed that, that that was really my college years, really. You know, mm -hmm. I got to be around some phenomenal actors, you know, that I, I learned a lot from that. I got a chance to experience, you know, their processes, whether it's, you know, Eamon Walker, Adewale, uh, J.K. Simmons, you know, Lee Turgeson, Dean Winters, Ernie Hudson, Terry Kenny. I mean, I can go on, not to mention the guest stars that came through and the guest directors that we had. Like, I couldn't have got a better education than starting from my house, you know. HBO, you know, they they were putting out some incredible, incredible content. You know what I mean? You know, between The Sopranos and, you know, Oz, and we'll talk about The Wire in a minute, but, I mean, Sex in the City. And, you know, just, and you, like you said, you know, brother shows, sister shows. I mean, and, you, and I'm sure they can all cross-promote or cross-do whatever they can do as far as putting, hey, we can use you for this or use you for that. So, and I know HBO, like I said, back back yeah. then, even now, they've been doing some excellent, excellent stuff. And just the thing, just imagine if they would have had, you know, the HBO Max back then. <laughs> you know what I mean? They would have had all these, these streaming sites uh, like, they, like they have now. So, Let's talk about the wire. Um, in regards to how you how did you, you know, as far as the auditioning for the role, or you know, preparing for the role, because I know I um the the relaunch episode I did on my on my show, um, you could look at you could listen at the archives on um, believe.com. You could look up the Dilu podcast. I had Chrissy Monroe on the show, and she was, you know, she was on seasons five of um, Love and Hip Hop, and she says she grew up in Baltimore. And I asked her, I said, Well, how was life growing up there? Mm -hmm. She's like, Did you ever see the wire? And I said, yeah, I've seen it. She was like, well, that's basically what, you know, basically the 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 type of neighborhood that she lived in. And, you know, you worked with, you know, Wood Harris, Idris Elba, and, you know, the late, the late great Michael K. Williams, rest in peace, man. So talk about the auditioning for the role and preparing for the role for The Wire. Yeah. Uh, here we go back to the same cast director. Shout out to Alexa Fogel. Um, she she was an award-winning casting director, and you've seen her put together some of TV's greatest ensembles, so I got to give her that. Uh, she already had in mind that she wanted me to come in for Bodie and audition. Mm -hmm. um, I even asked her if I could uh, go out for D'Angelo. She said, no, you're reading for Bodie. 
So she already had in her mind where and how she wanted to cast the look, which is, you know, how you're supposed to do it. Right. Um, on top of that, uh, by the time I got down to Baltimore, um, like your friend said, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, number one, uh, The Wire is one of the most authentic uh, shows, I would have to say. I, I definitely know it's one of the most authentic shows I've ever been a part of, but I would have to think it's one of the most authentic TV shows ever created. Um, as as I was staying in Baltimore while I was doing it, like I said, the, the the line between doing the show and living in the city is very blurry, you know, honestly. And mm -hmm. I got to experience Baltimore and all this full blurry. It's like a second home to me. Shout out to Be More. I love you. Um, by the time I got down there, though, even though I'm from Newark, and I definitely, but, you know, every hood has its own nuances, you know, and yeah. you can't. You can't really just walk into some neighborhood or, or don't onto somebody's street claiming it. Right. And I know I know that I was playing a heavy uh heavy street figure in Baltimore. However, like I hadn't had any experience even just walking down their streets. So when I got to Baltimore, I want to say it was like maybe eleven o'clock at night. I put on a hoodie and I just took a nice long walk around like this neighborhood that I shouldn't have been in, but I had to get a, a feeling of touching the city a little bit. Um, I walked across um, a boat line where they were giving out, you know, they were they had the things lined up and they were distributing what they were distributing. And by then I figured I was drawing enough attention myself and I had seen enough. So I made my way back to my hotel room. But yeah, man, it, like I said, uh, as I would with anywhere, especially somewhere that kind of reminds me of home in the sense that, you know, I know it's something that you have to experience in order to understand. So I had to definitely touch the city a little bit in order to get on set that next day and play that character. And so that's what I did. I did my best at that. And then I made sure, you know, I got more and more acquainted with the city as time went on, you know, and that way I could definitely, you know, portray that character as authentically as possible um, because my character was Baltimore through and through. Only thing I didn't do really was uh, attempt the accent. That was about it. That's the only thing I didn't do was do the Baltimore accent because also, I felt like, you know, once you get it, you're going to be stuck with it, mm -hmm. you know, and if we really did the, the Baltimore accent authentically, nobody will understand what we were saying anyway. So, you know, and you're appealing to a much larger and you're, you're appealing to a much crazy. larger Right. You, you, and you, plus you're appealing to a much larger audience, HBO. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure they would have let us do it. It just, I just think that it, you know, it just would have been difficult if everybody was talking like Snoop, you know? Right. It would have been very difficult. You know, that was, that was the most authentic Baltimore non-pullback accent. You know, she was just full bore with her, her be more accent. You know, it was like the, the, the pauses, the way she talked, the, the, the accent, the dot, everything that was all her. And if we were all to just go like that, like I said, it would be very, it would have been very hard to understand. This episode of the DLU podcast is brought to you by Goalie Nutrition. As someone who's used Goalie for quite some time, I can tell you that they're not only very good, but they're very beneficial. My favorite are the Super Green Gummies. The Super Green Gummies are uniquely crafted with a spectrum of essential nutrients such as vitamins A, B12, folic acid, and theamine. It supports a healthy liver function, healthy nervous and immune system, digestive health, a boost to your metabolism, and overall health and well-being. There are no artificial sweeteners, flavors, or colors from artificial sources. They're vegan-friendly, gluten-free, and gelatin-free. 
all loyal listeners of the DLU podcast get a special 10% discount at checkout. Go to goalie.com, use promo code DLEW. That's goalie.com, use promo code DLEW. Yeah, man. And, and like I said, and just seeing some of the episodes that I did, and it just really gave you a bird's eye view. I'm like, okay, this, you know, some you know, things can be fabricated sometimes with stories, but no, this looked. It's about as authentic as it can get. So you all did, a, you know, an incredible job, you know, telling those stories. But I, I did bring them up a little bit. Talk about, you know, Michael K. Williams. What was your relationship like with him? And let's talk about a little bit about just the working relationship on set and how he was. Uh, Michael K. was my dude. He was a very uh, caring, compassionate person, um, always positive, you know, uh, down for a good time. Um, when I met him, like I said, uh, first season, as we were all trying to get the lay of the city, you know, he was one of the, he was an outgoing person. So he would be, you know, one of the people that we would, you know, decide to go out and check out some of the spots in the city, with, whether it was, you know, Club One or Hammerjacks or wherever we were going to go and check out things, you know, uh, he was definitely down. Like I said, energetic, upbeat, positive brother, um, talented, obviously. And so that that that's what it was, you know, uh, like I would consider we, we were good friends. And uh, one of the people that I actually took to see my daughter first, he happened to be not far away from where I was. And so when my daughter was born, I definitely I took her over to his house and introduced them. So, yeah, me and Mike, we always, you know, always talking, always checking in on each other. We crossed paths several times after the wire. We ended up doing the kill point together. Um, and I know it was one or two other projects that I can't think off the top of my head that we both ended up in also together. Mm -hmm. So Mike, would, Mike and I would always, uh, see each other, um, one way or another, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, he was a good person, um, sensitive, compassionate, energetic, positive, you know, was, I, I was honored to meet him, to know him, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely a sad loss to, you know, to the community and just to the world because he was such a talent, an incredible, incredible talent. Now, let's talk about some of the technical stuff from your from your estimation as an as an actor. Explain to the people what are the differences between television and film as an actor? Uh, the way that I break it down in my class, so I teach an, act, an acting coaching class. Anybody want to get with it? Go to uh, J.D. Williams group at gmail.com uh and inquire but in my acting class coaching class one of the things that i the main thing the difference between television and film is you have more time on film um television you know maybe the scene is supposed to be a minute a minute and a half two minutes long you and this person you have to get your lines out so yeah so we can get this edited and it can go to commercial you know mm -hmm. there's a, a timing with television that has to be there with film, you can take pauses, you can make, you can take weights, you can, they can be silenced. With film, a lot of the time, silence says more than, uh, than, than the dialogue a lot, right. a lot of times, you know. Body, you, you body language. Time. Yeah, take the time with those looks. You can take the time with those thoughts uh, in film. But in, in, in television, you have a, a finite amount of time where we have to get these, you have to get this out. You know, you have to get get convey this 
and get it out so that we can go on to the next scene, so we can go on to the next line. So there's definitely a timing that has to be there when you're doing television. With movies, you have way more time to live in the character, to live in the scene, to make those choices, you know? That's the most simplest way I could put it. No, that's very good. And I mean, because a lot, and, and again, in the classes that I've taken, you know, with, you know, with um, Tracy Moore, or Sarah Mornell, you know, that's one, that's one of the things that they've definitely explained in regards to, it's all about the timing. You figure with TV, you figure if it's a, was it a 30, uh, usually with 22 minutes for, for, for usually for episodic. So that's not right. a lot of time, you know, to take, so you have to be very, very quick with it, but with film, you're really telling longer stories. So that's you know that's the perfect way to to explain that. What has been the yeah, biggest? I actually picked oh, sorry. also from uh, Hill Harper. I'm sorry, um, okay. but Hill Harper was one who actually kind of clarified that for me. Um, I had just finished doing The Wire. I had booked like four movies that summer, and I was just excited to be on set with Hill Harper. I knew mm -hmm. my lines. I was ready to go. I did my character breakdown. I did everything, and I shot the first scene with Hill, and I just went, and it was so clean, and it was like wow. Boom, bow, boom, bow, boom. And then the director called Cut and Hill just leaned to me. He said, he said, bro, my brother, he's like, uh, he just said, simply said, he's like, you're not doing a television show right now. You're doing a movie. You can take your time. And it hit me like, you know, like I was like, he's right. Like, I don't have to be on that schedule. I can really sit in there. And that's, that's the one thing he had to say to me. That was our very first scene. He, he never said anything else to me in that regard again, but it's so true, you know? So it is that 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 spacing and that timing that, that you do have, you know, as far as thumbs go. Yeah, and like I guess you're 100% you're on the money, man. And like I said, I, and I hope, and we'll talk more about your your classes later on in the interview. But the, but the question I was going to ask, the next one was, what's the biggest piece of advice career-wise that someone has given you and it can be veteran actor acting coach or whoever what was the biggest piece of advice someone gave you man i've gotten so much advice from so many great actors that it's amazing like i said Hill harper uh gave me that right there and you know i remember things that i've heard from uh jk simmons and you know so many other actors that have really you know giving me great advice. One, I can definitely point out, um, I'll give the, I'll say my man, Adewale Akinoya. Um, mm -hmm. Y'all might know him from uh, Oz, he played at a BC and he, in Suicide Squad, he was Killer Croc. And he, he's been in a, a million things. Jason Bourne, he was in, he, he, you know, he, he's, he, you would recognize him if you saw him. But one of the greatest things, a uh, piece of advice that he ever gave me was, don't look like well, this is what happened. I, I was a, I was probably like five minutes late to set from lunch. And I ran and I came into the set exasperated, sweating, looking stressed out, you know, and, and just, you know, not wanting to be late for work. You know, I'm, I'm like 18 or so, maybe 19. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I come on set and I'm sweating and I'm looking all, you know, disheveled. And he told me, don't come on set looking like that. Even if you're late, you know, if, if something's going on, don't come running on set looking, you know, so, ex, you know, ex, like, don't come on set looking out of place like that. And that definitely taught me, you know, and from that sense to, you know, keep your cool, 
You know, if you make a mistake, don't draw attention to yourself. Right. Stay don't advertise. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah. Stay focused. Don't let yourself get thrown off by yourself. You know, so that was a great bit of advice. You know, um, also I've, I've persistence and consistency is one of the main things. You know, it's like I said, you have to keep hitting the same spot over and over and over again. Eventually, whatever you're doing is going to break through. But it has to be persistent and consistent. So that definitely sticks with the, you know, um, knowing your worth and knowing what you can do so that you can continue to do what you do without letting outside forces slow you down, you know? So sure. like I said, it is a lot of a lot of G's gave me a lot of advice. But yeah, definitely uh keep your cool on set and be persistent and consistent. Those are definitely two things that I definitely live by. Mm. Really, P and C. <laughs> yes, indeed. So, you played a, a wounded veteran that suffers from PTSD in the film Surviving Family. Let's talk about that that project for a little bit and how and what that meant to you. Yeah, uh, definitely. That was one of those movies that I definitely did during one of those breaks in between a uh, series, and it was great. Uh, I was very glad to be uh, offered that role, also. And the main thing was that it was definitely something that was a little different. Um, like you said, I got to play a soldier, uh, PTSD. I was missing an eye. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to recount these stories. And um, luckily, uh, there's been a couple of times where I have gotten a chance to play soldiers. Uh, one of the main times was when I did streamers at the Roundabout Theater um, in Manhattan. And we actually went from... Uh, center stage in Boston, all the way up to uh, basically Broadway. Um, it was a, it was a long production. Uh, David Ray, famous playwright. Um, it, it, that 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 story has a lot a long pedigree. And what I'm saying that to say is that that I was a soldier in that, and that took a lot of uh, actual, you know, research and living in that character because it's a play. And right. meeting actual soldiers to learn, you know, the proper way to salute and to stand and terminology and things. So um, moving up to that type of soldier who I believe my, my character in that movie, he had to deal with uh, somewhere in the Middle East. It was either Iraq or, you know, Afghanistan, one of those two. Right. But the yeah, dealing with those types of uh, traumas and those types of um you know, that type of experience, definitely I, I take it serious and I definitely do as much research as I can. I wouldn't consider myself a method actor, but I definitely do as much research as I can. And I, I play a soldier with a PTSD also in a film called Happy New Year. And that 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 was actually about a bunch of uh, veterans in uh, a hospital together uh, trying mm. to learn to deal with their traumas. So. Yeah, so there's a lot of, uh, that's a very important um, story to tell. Um, a lot of veterans do have those stories. I have people in my family who are vets with PTSD also, so I definitely understand. But yeah, that that, that came about and it was something that I definitely took serious, something I definitely uh, respect. And yeah, that was a, a, a heavy movie, definitely. Yeah, because I um I did a TV pilot. This is on maybe nine years ago, and it it talked about a similar topic, you know, PTSD. And and that was the first time I had an opportunity to really do some research and and you know do Google as far as oh wow, uh, they do suffer through a lot of that, you know, through 
you know, losing fellow soldiers or whatever it is, and they're seeing gunfire and all this other stuff. So I can't, I couldn't even imagine, you know, living through that. You know what I mean? So I totally, and that's right. what when, when I saw it, I'm like, oh, wow, I get, you know, and I totally understand as far as the toll that gives you. I remember one scene, it didn't call for me to cry, but I did because it was, it was so emotional because I'm speaking to a woman that was playing my therapist and she was holding right. my hand. She was like, tell me about life after war. And when I was explaining being a 24 year old living at home with my parents and I'm trying to figure out life and I just broke down because I thought that's what someone with PTSD would do in that, in that moment. You know what I mean? So playing a veteran and with PTSD and not really, and I did, like I said, doing some research, like you said, those type of things will definitely prepare you for those type of roles for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And and like I said, it gets deep because some, some people with PTSD can't cry. You know, some people are, are shell shocked and anything can set them off and begin, you know, whatever the tirade is. But the main thing that I did learn from PTSD is that when those types of situations and experience, it makes it hard for people to, to feel, you know, it makes them very hard. It makes it hard for them to feel and to care about things. And that can become frustrating, you know, when Man. when you know that your feelings and your sensitivity and the way that you should care about things is a little off, you know, it, it, it gets frustrating and it makes you start. It makes you start to feel like a monster, you know. Right. Right. Now, have you now in your whole career, have you ever turned down a project? Um. I, yes and no, like in the sense that. I might see something and say that it's not for me. And maybe I, most times I still go on an audition, but um, to be offered a role and I've had to, I've had to not take roles because I was working on other things before. Mm -hmm. um, there's meetings that if, if I, if I've turned something down, it's only probably because I was already working on something. Right. So that that's happened before. Um, I would say Tropic Thunder might be the closest thing to something that I turned down. Oh, but wow. Only because, but that's only because uh, it was before Robert Downey Jr. was involved. And it was like one of the original scripts. And I just didn't really get it. The original script, you know. Mm -hmm. but, but when it came back around with this next draft and once Robert Downey Jr. was involved, I was I was auditioning. I went back to auditioning again. Um, obviously I didn't get it, but yeah, but Tropic Thunder was something I kind of, initially I kind of shied away from in the opening stages of it. Okay. Gotcha. Saints and Sinners working with, yeah. um, the, the great Clifton Powell. So let's talk about Definitely. that series for a bit. And it was on six season was on bounce TV. Let's talk about that series and what, mm -hmm. and what that was all about. Well, like, you said, man, it was a great experience. I got to work with some actual certified bona fide legends, Clifton Powell, Vanessa Bell Calloway, you know, two people I grew up watching, you know, mm -hmm. before I even was thinking about acting. Mm -hmm. um, supremely talented, beautiful black people. And then the rest of the cast is a bunch of gorgeous, you know, talented people that um, I'm very honored to be working with, you know, uh, Jasmine Burke, Kenny, my boy Trey Cheney. And we've had like so many up and coming, you know, actors coming through that spot, you know, that just whether it was, you know, Karan Riley or um, 
Anthony Dalton. It was it, it was a lot of people. And when you go, oh, Carly, Carly Redway, my wife, you know, it's it's a it's a lot going on in there where you get a, a, a beautiful showcase of, you know, of black talent, you know, and the storyline in itself, like I said, it, it, it here goes another very melodramatic, you know, soap opera-ish kind of story where it's about, you know, all the backstabbing and backbiting that goes on that can go on, you know, in a quote-unquote Christian setting. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so drama, 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 drama. But it's a fun show, a great show. Like I said, talented cast. We got to do six seasons. The audience enjoyed it. So if y'all didn't get a chance, make sure you go check out Saints and Saints. Definitely, definitely for sure. Any funny stories you have, whether it's an audition or something on set that just really just set you off to the point where you just could stop, you could not stop laughing. Any funny stories you have? Um, well, like, you know, funny stuff happens all the time, you know, especially when you and uh you and your castmates get along, y'all always doing something uh crazy with each other. Like on Oz, me and uh Dean Winters, who plays O'Reilly, who's now the the mayhem guy in the commercials and the all state and the uh, car insurance commercials. Yeah. Me and him used to like, you know, always like snap on each other, have food fights, you know, just <laughs> oh, uh, he, he could break dance. Yeah, he could break dance. So we would always be doing some old, you know, something physical or whether it was joking around or uh, something along those lines. But uh, me and yeah, it, it, there, there was always something going on. Me and uh, Idris Elba, uh, we always had this kind of secondhand when we used to act together because our processes are so close. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when we would come up with stuff, we would be thinking about doing the same thing at the same time within the scene. So wow. after a while, he and I really didn't have to talk before we, before we would work together anymore. But we would always have, you know, the same, you know, impulses, uh, same instincts. Uh, within the scene, uh, there was a lot. Like I said, I've been blessed with so many uh, crazy things. There was times on the set of The Wire where, you know, it would be real D-boys on the corner across the street. And, you know, they would ask, they would say, hey, you know, where my chain in the scene, you know, or, you know, can we get you this? Do you need any of that? You know what I'm telling them? I can't continue wow. kind of the same, but, you know, so... There was always, you know, something, man, always something going on. You know, time people eat, uh, hurt each other uh, on The Wire. I did a lot of my stunts, like probably all of my stunts on The Wire and Oz pretty much. So, you know, a lot of times stunts don't go right, you know, or, or they go right, but you still get your ass beat. So, right, right. you know, sometimes, sometimes it happens. So, but yeah, it's always, always with something going on um, in The Wire. It was this one time where I was supposed to have all the police beating on me and I had padding on, but, and, and you can attest to this. I know um, I'm pretty sure you're still a big wrestling fan. Oh yeah. So when, um, even when somebody's hitting you, even if it's not hurting, but they're still knocking the wind out of your lungs. Out of you. Right. 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 Yeah. So there was this uh, one stunt that I had to do where I had to take a whole bunch of hits from multiple people and they weren't hurting my body, but they were knocking the wind out of me. The wind out of you, right. Breathe. The impact, right. Yeah, and I couldn't breathe in. So, uh, and I think I had to do that take maybe about three times. <laughs> so, oh my you know, God. sometimes, yeah, some, 
sometimes you really, really have to suffer for your art. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a lot of that. Wow, wow, wow. So you spoke about it earlier and we'll highlight it now. So you talk about the acting classes you're giving. Now, are these classes virtual or are they in person? So talk about what you're doing and where they can reach you at and where they can apply. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, most of the time, especially now, they have to be virtual. You know, you do them over Zoom or whatever type of video phone. Uh, if the person is in my vicinity and close, then, yeah, I do. I can do in persons. Um, if the class is big enough, I definitely do in persons. But it's a uh, virtual, mainly virtual um, coaching. So, like, definitely it's more uh, of a crash course. Now, if you come back for subsequent uh, classes or subsequent lessons, we get deeper, but um, usually the, the 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 main one is a, it's a crash course. It gives you the basics of um, acting techniques, uh, different types of acting, and also you know basic uh, memorization um, techniques and tips. Um, just just the real basics of acting to so as a jump off point so that you can know those those tense you know and um that's where i start like i said subsequent classes that get that dig deeper into uh what i what i'm teaching but just to get that confidence you know scene breakdown memorization techniques character mm-hmm. like different types of acting commercial television stage theater um theater i mean i, I mean cinema and um so they're a modeling. So there's different types of voice acting, you know, just a lot of tips and things like that as far as to prepare a person for uh, the main basics that I think that every uh, good actor should, you know, know. OK. And where can they reach out to you for more information? Oh, definitely. Uh, you can hit me on my email address. Uh, the email address for the class is J.D. Williams Group at gmail.com um just write inquiring about the let's go acting coaching classes and i will send you uh the information on how to register for the next session um once again that's jd williams group at gmail.com um check it out awesome awesome so any other upcoming projects you have yeah actually i'm waiting to hear back from something that people have been asking why am i not in for the longest so I can't confirm nor deny whether I'm in this show right now. But um, one of the main things that I have been focusing on over the last, all last year was uh, getting my production company together, getting materials so that I can, and content for my own production company. Um, my brother and I, we started our little, you know, podcast kind of situation going on, but we're also going to move into shooting our own films and sketches and everything like that. So I've really been focused on, Aside from the next big project, the next series that I'm going to be in, I've been really focused on, you know, trying to create my own uh, projects and my own work. So that's really what I'm about. I've been writing. I've been directing here and there for the longest, and I'm really trying to put all that together. So don't be surprised if you finally see, you know, an entire feature film, you know, written and directed by me pretty soon. But that's definitely what I'm working on. Aside from, like I said, the bigger projects, yes. But you, but uh, like I said, I'm waiting back to hear from this television series right now. Something that's being shot down here. Uh, if I had the, if if I found out I had the part, I would definitely give you an exclusive. But uh, I'm waiting for it right now. 
Awesome, man. Well, down the road, um, especially with your production company, when you have something out, you know, you're more than welcome to come on here and, you know, talk about your production company and everything else that you're doing. And speaking of which, if you could plug all of your social media where people can find you. Okay, for sure. Hey, everybody, this is your boy, Brick City's Finest, J.D. Williams, and I'm chilling with D. Lou at the D. Lou podcast. Y'all know how we do right here on the Believe Network. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You can catch up to me. JD Williams uh on Instagram at JD at uh right now it says smart ass pawn smart ass pawn on Instagram also it may go back to the real JD Williams soon but it's smart ass pawn as it stands on Twitter it's JD Williams ENT as in JD Williams e Entertainment JD Williams ENT um you can find me on all the Facebooks with my regular name JD Williams uh TikTok same thing JD Williams uh Daddy Main and um instead of uh, gmail jd williams group at gmail.com for the classes and for anything else but uh, uh yeah man so i'm around making it happen working it out and you know just staying busy brother just staying busy well jd man like i said 36 years you know we go way back man and like i said you've been i i, I literally saw you rise and it, it was an honor for me as your friend to really see the progression in your career and your life, you know, not just as an actor, but as a human being. And I know you've been one of, you're a quality person and you've been nothing but positive vibes from you since the time we met many, many, many years ago. And I'm sure that our lives and our careers will definitely cross at some point on on set or behind the camera or you name it, man. So I'm looking forward to when that does happen someday. And I'm speaking that out to the universe right now. I believe that's, some, that's something that's going to happen. For sure, my brother. I, I agree too. Like, well, we've been crossing paths since 1985. So <laughs> I don't I don't see why it should stop now. You know, Absolutely, but definitely, man. man once, again, once again, thank you for having me on your show. Keep doing your thing. Peace and blessings to you and uh your family. But yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. No doubt, man. Talk soon. Well, that does it for this week's edition of the D-Loop Podcast. Again, I want to thank J.D. Williams for taking the time out of his extremely busy schedule to come talk to us, and I wish him all of the best in what he continues to do. This Saturday actually marks the nine-year anniversary for when I launched this wonderful podcast of mine, the D-Loop Podcast, with Tanya Thompson as my guest. And, of course, you can listen to that episode in the archives. But, yeah, it was, it was a fun time. You know, in my life, when I was, you know, launching this you know, this venture, and I know I took a very long break in between the seventh and eighth episode, but nonetheless, we're here. This weekend, I have my ring announcer thing. Saturday, well, Friday and Saturday, actually. Now that I think about it, I totally forgot I had two shows this weekend. Friday night is Madness at the Mecca in Ritual Park, New Jersey, featuring all the stars of the SWF, including the innovator of violence, Tommy Dreamer, and the franchise, Shane Douglas. And also on Saturday, it's Battleborn. It's the 14-year anniversary show for the SWF, featuring Tommy Dreamer and all of the stars of the SWF. Tickets are on sale now. You can get your tickets online at swfwrestling.com. And again, bell time on Friday is at 8 p.m., and bell time on Saturday is at 6 p.m., and you can see me and the rest of all the stars of the SWF do our thing, and we're going to entertain like only we can do. Nothing like a pro wrestling crowd, for sure. Now, as far as my social media, you can follow me on TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, 
Twitter at the Real DT Lou. You can also go on Facebook and you can follow me at Derek T. Lewis official page. You can get your DTL merch over at shop.derektlewis.com. I just launched a brand new D. Lou podcast t-shirt and a hoodie's coming along with it. So make sure you get yours today. With that being said, we're going to get out of here. And just remember, whatever you do in life, always remember to make it count. Take care, guys.